Hello, everyone, and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the editor at B2B Marketing, and I'm joined today by Brian Beck, who's the author of Billion Dollar B2B E-Commerce, and he's also the managing partner at Enceba. Um, so before we go any further, Brian, could you please just say hello and uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, sure can, David. Hey, great to, great to be with you today. I'm, I'm excited for our conversation. So thanks for having me. No worries. Yeah, anytime, anytime at all. Um, let's jump straight into the questions then, I think. So Obviously, you know, being the author of Billion Dollar B2B E-commerce, there's only one subject to talk about, which is e-commerce <laughs> and B2B. So obviously it's, you know, it's something everyone's really familiar with. You know, everyone's, you can't spend 10 years ordering things off Amazon without knowing, you know, what inherently feels right and what feels wrong yeah. when it comes to buying online. So do you think that the world's ready for B2B e-commerce to become more common? You know, is it as straightforward as everyone just introducing e-commerce functionality to their websites tomorrow? Or do marketers really need to think more strategically or, or long term about it? Yeah, no, great, great question, David. You know, I, I and I get you know this question sometimes, and it's you know B two B e commerce isn't isn't coming. It's it's here. It's it's enormous. In fact, it dwarfs B two C e commerce. It's more than two times the size. Everyone knows about you know uh, you know the, buying clothes online and music and books and all the rest. And that's actually become quite mature, B2C e-commerce. What many people don't realize that is that B2B e-commerce is really is enormous. And, it, and it's now an expectation of the B2B buyer that they can transact via e-commerce with their suppliers. And that's really come out of what you mentioned, David. It's the B2C expectation. You know, consumers, everyone who's a business buyer is also a consumer. And that when they come to the, the website of their supplier and their business lives, they expect to transact. And it's, you know, it is like B2C e-commerce in many ways, but it's also different, right? So, you know, one of the things that is the same is that the buyer expects a, you know, a friendly experience, an Amazon-like experience, be able to search and find products. But it's also, it's also different because at the end of the day, the B2B buyer is looking to make their lives easier, right? They're looking to buy quickly and get in and out. It's not about the adventure, or, you know, finding the, you know, finding the coolest, latest trend. It's about finding what I need quickly and getting out. And that means also things like being able to buy on credit terms or being able to buy at my prices that I expect to buy if I'm a business buyer. So, so there's differences as well as uh, similarities to B2C, but but it's here, man. The first chapter of my book is The Time Is Now. <laughs> and yeah. I named it that for a reason. Yeah. And I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it's still the same people. It's the same person buying a T-shirt online as it is buying right. your multi-thousand pound software right. package. Um, yep. Okay. Well, like with that in mind then, how do you feel the pandemic has affected the growth or, or direction of B2B e-commerce? Oh, it's been, it's been dramatic. Um, you know what? B2B, the pandemic didn't uh, introduce necessarily new things as much as it accelerated what was already happening in B2B channels. Um, you know, we, we're seeing just tremendous penetration, you know, here in the U.S., but internationally, too. You know, it, we, we, in one year, we've seen a decade worth of increases in, in penetration to uh, e-commerce, to total revenue for B2B companies. 
and you know the, the stats are pretty pretty startling. You know when you think about people that had to buy online um, that that hadn't had to before. So so loyalty is being challenged in all new ways. The fact is, fifty uh, percent of B two B buyers are buying products during the pandemic from suppliers they've never bought from before. You've got people working remotely here in the U.S., David. We've got thirty um, percent uh, of of uh, professional uh, workers, office workers, are still expected to be working at least partly from home through the end of this year. Uh, and that, I believe these trends are going to continue. And so the notion of the way the way that loyalty uh, and relationships have been delivered historically in B two B channels has changed, and and everybody. Uh, every channel must be digitized. So if you think about, <clears throat> you know, the Salesforce, right, going and visiting and bringing a box of donuts to the to the to the customer, you know, the, the traditional B two B salesperson, uh, that's different now. The, 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 that that customer, uh, that B two B salesperson, has to be digitally enabled. They have to be speaking to that customer over e commerce and digital channels, and like we're doing today over, you know, over audio and Zoom channels and things like that. It's it's just a different, uh, a different market, and those that were prepared prior to the pandemic are winning. They're winning more market share, and those that those that haven't been prepared are either scrambling to catch up, or quite frankly, are suffering. Um, you know, their businesses are not uh, doing as well um, because they they haven't they haven't been positioned well to meet that new digital buyer's expectations. Right? That makes sense. Yeah, no, that all all makes perfect sense. But do you think, you know, do you think it works in does e-commerce work for every kind of service or, or products an organization might be selling? You know, or are there some things that just don't, you know, they don't quite work on e-commerce. So, you know, for instance, if you're selling, uh, I don't know, a, a particular software solution like CRM, that mm-hmm. might be, I don't want to say straightforward, but you can imagine someone clicking add to cart on that sort of package. But what about when it comes to, you know, a multi-year service agreement or something a bit more complicated um, which requires the seller to work with the buyer, something like consultancy services. Yeah, I get this question a lot too. You know, there's a there's a notion that B two B e commerce can't work for more complex or complicated products or services where there's a high degree of of um, you know consultative selling, for example. And, and you know, so I don't. So it's a couple of things here, David. One, I don't believe that consultative selling is going away. A um, colleague of mine that I have a thought leadership uh, series with, a fellow named Andy Hoare, who ran um, Forrester Research's B2B e-commerce practice, and we have this thought leadership series now called Master B2B. Uh, he wrote this article. I was at Forrester. It said, hey, is this is e-commerce mean the death of the B2B salesman? There's this famous book, Arthur Miller book called Death of a Salesman, you may know of. Mm. And uh, it's uh, it's an American classic. And, you know, the answer is actually no. It's This is not the death of a salesman. Um, what it means, though, is that, you know, complex products and consultative, um, you know, uh, solution-based selling is alive and well and, and is enhanced by e-commerce, is enhanced by digital tools. And when you, you're thinking about it that way and using it that way, it actually can make your sales team more effective. They can close more business. I have a client, David, that um, it's a company called Illumina. They're profiled in my book several times. They sell DNA sequencing equipment. This is some of the most sophisticated 
biotechnology equipment the world has ever seen. And they're selling this <laughs> via e-commerce. They're selling products, uh, million dollar pieces of equipment through their shopping cart on their website. Now, that doesn't just happen. Prior to that sale, the sales team is working with that customer all the way through, and the customer just prefers to place the order via the e-commerce site. But the fact of the matter is e-commerce works together with the sales team in that case to close the sale. Now, if you're just taking orders and that and your sales team is just, you know, kind of processing a reorder or, you know, placing a low value order, that stuff will migrate online and those those sales roles will shift away from the physical into the digital. So there is a bit of a bit of death of a salesman, I suppose, but it's really I I, I call it really more up leveling of the sales team. So I, I think we're just seeing seeing a difference in in how the sales cycle works. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's more of um like a leveler as opposed to well, like you say, the death of the salesman is more just kind of, <laughs> if anything, it's bringing like marketing's roll up a bit, but that's all. That's right. That's right. Cool. That's right. Okay. So another thing I wanted to um, talk about is, you know, we always hear about marketers being frustrated over abandoned carts. Um, you know, you might've got your prospective buyer all the way from, you know, a Facebook ad to, um, you know, an invitation to a webinar through all these brilliantly worked out stages um, and then they get to your website, they add um, your DNA sequencing kit to their, um, to their cart. Yeah. Um, and then they're about to hit buy and nothing. Then they just leave the page. Um, you know, are, do you think companies are actually seeing lower revenue as a result of these abandoned carts? Or does e-commerce, you know, just boost a company's revenue and abandoned carts are just kind of an inescapable reality of using it? So it's almost like a false metric. That's a great question. You know, I spent 17 years, um, David, of my career in um, B2C e-commerce, and we spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking about <laughs> abandoned carts, right, and trying to optimize. So, I, you know, there's two aspects to this question for B2B. I think the first is, um, it's going to sound strange, but I think abandoned carts can actually be a, a sign that you're succeeding. <laughs> well, that sounds <laughs> okay. crazy, right? Why? Well, because if, if you're, if you have to look at it holistically, right? From a customer experience perspective, that sale, um, that shopping cart uh, in B2B is often used as a research tool, a place to store a purchase, a place to um, for, for where a customer puts something to consider purchasing later. And that purchase later might happen in a different way. It might happen through the sales team, it might happen through, I see this with some of the large uh, B2B companies I work with. It might happen through the ERP system or through a procurement system. The, the, the customer is just using the e-commerce site to learn about the product. Is it in stock? What, what, is it compatible with my other products? Is it a service? Is, is the service what I'm looking for? And so, you know, in some cases, you know, companies ought to be celebrating the abandoned cart, but they have to understand where the sale is actually occurring and have what they call attribution attached to, the, to that. So, so there's one side. Now, the other side of the equation is the traditional way of thinking about abandoned carts, because it, it could also be a sign you're not doing things right in e-commerce. You've got to make sure you're delivering, for example, the right shipping information, the right uh, pricing information, the right product information. Um, all the There's elements that are critical to include in your checkout process, which are informational. And if you're trying to be cute with your shipping costs or to the customer or, you know, some other information they might need, uh, you know, in a, a contract length or some kind of subscription information, um, you know, 
you got to be transparent. If, if digital and Amazon has taught us nothing else, transparency in the in the in the purchase process is critical. Um, you're not going to be able to get away with sort of hiding things from your customer, <laughs> or you know even inadvertently missing something. Don't try to reinvent the wheel here. Look to the best practices for e-commerce. Just take a look at Amazon. See how they're doing it. You know this is this is um, this is well established. So there's really two sides to your question. Abandoned carts could be good, but also you got to be critical about how you're delivering that experience because it could also be bad. Yeah. So it's not as simple as just someone going into a shop, putting something on the counter and at the last minute going, actually, I don't want it. There's a lot more nuance there. It's it, it, a lot of the time they're just using it as a, well, like you say, as a research tool. That's right. Great. Great. So um, sort of on that note then, um, I know you've just mentioned that, that, you know, it's, it's not always a, it's, it's not always a doom and gloom sign, but you know, how can marketers lower the percentage of carts that are abandoned? You know, are there any kind of yeah. tactics or strategies that, you know, that have proven to stop people abandoning their carts? And, um, yeah, well, yeah. Right. Yes. No, well, there sure are. I, th- I think one of the key things in B2B, you know, I alluded to, you know, kind of making sure the right information is there, particularly around shipping. That's, that's often where you fall down and B2B companies don't realize that, they need to provide that information through e-commerce. They're not used to it. It's uh, you know, think of yourself as as a B two B version of Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but but the other piece is how you have to understand how your customer uses the cart. And in many cases, as I mentioned earlier, it's about someone who is shopping and just looking for information and storing that information. And they may need to pass that over to either another system, like an ERP system, uh, for actually transacting, because that's the way their their systems are set up. It's called EDI or Electronic Data Interchange. It's a traditional way of doing transactions between B two B companies. Or um, it may be that they don't have the permission to actually buy. And in many B two B instances, the person requesting or or researching the product needs to pass that to a procurement department. Someone needs to purchase the product on their behalf. And, you know, many larger B2B organizations are set up this way. So you have to understand the workflow for purchasing for your customer. And so abandoned cart, if you're getting a high degree of abandoned cart, you may not be accommodating that workflow effectively. So those are some common sense ways to, to understand. And the best, the best way to find that out, David, is just go talk to your customer and understand what that workflow looks like. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting, actually. I'd never, you know... I'd- researching this topic um a bit in, in my time at b2b it's not, mm-hmm. not something i've ever really thought about but you know when i'm buying something on amazon it's just me but you know if you're buying right. something just because it's e-commerce you've still got all those standard um you know you've got all that b2b infrastructure behind you and yeah you so if, it's a it's a different ball game i guess but you know right. there's you know it's no secret that b2c has sort of paved the way and you know amazon being the the shining example of that and b2b is well, I was going to say playing catch up, but as you said earlier, it's a lot bigger than I thought. Well, but um, yeah. but what do you think we can do in B two B that we, you know, perhaps wouldn't work in B two C? You know, does B two B e commerce need to look entirely different, or on the contrary, does it just need to feel as natural as you know navigating an online clothes shop? Yeah, great, great question. You know, and and it's funny you mentioned playing catch up. Um, it's B two B e commerce is twice the size of B two C, but it's still playing catch up. <laughs> and what right. I mean by that, what I mean by that is that quite frankly, um, 50% of B2B companies don't have e-commerce. So if you think about, um, 
it's already enormous, but yet the market isn't isn't there yet. Uh, meaning that the suppliers, in particular, haven't deployed e-commerce. So you can imagine, David, if we deployed e-commerce in the remaining fifty percent of companies that don't have it today, we'd be looking at something that's more than four times as large as B two C e-commerce. So it, it is playing catch up <laughs> with itself. Um, to 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 answer your question. B2B really must adopt the best practices of B2C for site experience, user interface, design, et cetera. Too often, I find that B2B companies, they, they kind of plug in you know, the, uh, a software to their ERP system, which is hard to use. It doesn't have pictures. You have to know the part number to go search and find something. These are commonly referred to as sort of ordering portals or B2B portals. Um, they don't work very well, uh, and it's because they don't meet the expectation the buyer has for an intuitive search, navigation, and buying experience, which is conventional. As you mentioned earlier, I mean, cons- B2B buyers are consumers in their private lives, and they need to, um, they, they have a certain path that needs to be accommodated uh, when they come to your B2B site. So best practices don't reinvent the commonalities of e-commerce. However, the it, B2B is also different. It's it's additive, I like to say, to the B2C experience, and it's more complex. So if we think about, you know, one of the common missteps that I see B2B companies make is they they just, for example, put up a B2C-like website for their B2B buyers, and they don't create custom pricing that the customer is used to expecting. So in the B2B world, whether you're selling products or services, there's often a consistent, um, excuse me, a unique price book or a contract that you have with your supplier. And that contract is often negotiated. So that customer may have specific prices that they're expecting to see and get from their supplier. One of the mistakes I see B2B companies make is that they don't accommodate those prices on the e-commerce website. So they'll put up a B2C-like website, they'll put up a single price, maybe they put up their, you know, in the product world, their MSRP, right? Their suggested retail price or their, you know, standard highest level of pricing. And then the B2B buyers, they go to their customers and, and ask them to use the site. Well, the customer's not going to pay more. Uh, they, they expect to see the prices they've negotiated. That's a very common mistake. I've seen it time and time again. And that's an example a common and and uh, example of a comp- of a mistake that a B two B company makes. You need to tie those prices into that customer's price book and their e commerce website experience. So when they log into your website, they see the products and the prices that they've negotiated, and then they make the purchase there because it's a you know it's something they expect. At the same time, you're delivering that B two C experience. Um, and, and the one thing I want to mention on this too, David, is that B2B, because of the nature of the of B2B, it's it's a highly relevant and personalized uh, relationship that B2B buyers and sellers have. And B2B companies can do even more than B2C companies can because they know more about their customer than even than most B2B B2C companies. David, when I was when I was in the e-commerce field and in, in the consumer side, um, <clears throat> you know, in, in my history we would have millions of customers in our database consumers and we would work really hard to understand, you know, what was their preferences? You know, how do I personalize the experience? 
Well, guess what? In B2B, you can have very large firms that have maybe 10 or 20,000 customers, which is tiny. And you, but you know, in comparison to B2C in terms of the number of customers, but every one of them is larger and they're buying in your relationship, you know, those customers. And so you have more opportunity through digital tools to really deliver a personalized experience. So that's another way that B2B is different than B2C. And I think can be even more powerful, the e-commerce channel can. Okay, great. So there's a huge opportunity here then. And it's one that, um, you know, B2B is, well, like you said, they're, they're not playing catch up, but they kind of are. Um, so no, it's, right. that's really, that's really interesting. Um, back to Amazon. I promise I'm not, um, I'm not on commission for Jeff. Um, it keeps <laughs> coming, it keeps coming up. Um, but you know, what do you think the impact of marketplaces such as Amazon has been or, you know, or will be in B2B e-commerce? Great, great question. And I spend a lot of time, you know, my company and Siba, we spend a lot of time working with B2B companies on Amazon and Amazon business. That's our business model is to establish strategies and execute them for B2B firms. And the reality is that B2B in marketplaces in B2B are changing the dynamic um, and, and Amazon in particular, changing the dynamic of the traditional um, distribution model. And, and the way I look at Amazon <clears throat> is as an evolution of, distrib- of distribution. And the reality is that they're being um, chosen by Amazon in particular, by B2B buyers at an accelerating pace. And COVID has accelerated this trend uh, quite substantially. Um, 10% of B2B buyers make more than 50% of their per- work purchases on Amazon business and that was a statistic from over a year ago. That was pre-COVID. That number is going to be higher today. Amazon Business, which is Amazon's B2B selling arm, has become the fastest growing part of Amazon, period. It, it, last year, it eclipsed Amazon Web Services as the fastest growing part of Amazon. They are already, David, um, bigger than most industrial distributors and office products distributors they are uh, they are a distributor of the future. They're already well, should I say they're already here? And when you think about um, you know just volumes, they did twenty five billion dollars in B two B volume last year. They're anticipated to do more than seventy billion dollars by twenty twenty three. Manufacturers must be selling there. That's my 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 point of view on it. It's an evolution of the distribution channel. You need to control your presence there. Amazon is a product search engine. It's getting 70% of product search and distributors need to learn and fast from Amazon. I believe Amazon and other marketplaces are going to impact particularly mid-market distribution, those who have not invested substantially in e-commerce. And it's going to put some of them out of business, not just Amazon. I mean, sort of the marketplace model in general, you see it globally. Distributors need to get in and learn from Amazon. I think distributors should sell there too, but they should do it in a way that helps them to understand how they can be different from what Amazon's bringing to the table. But Amazon is a powerful revenue driver and can be very profitable, particularly for manufacturers. That makes yeah. sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It's interesting. I think, um, and by all means, for anyone listening, don't quote me on this because I'm, I'm half remembering, but I think JCB, who, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, you know, makes uh, like diggers and, and industrial vehicles, I think you can buy a JCB on their website. You, it's as simple as just add it to cart. And in a, in a weird way, it almost feels a little bit unnatural, but it's clearly working. So 
Um, yeah. Just a case of more manufacturers following suit, I guess. Yeah. Um, so uh, another question I've got for you, and, and you sort of, you can't wait, well, you argued the answer earlier, but I think there's maybe a bit more depth to it anyway. Um, you know, much is made of the, like, the ongoing tension between sales and marketing, um, which is a shame because we know everyone's on the same side ultimately. Um, right. But in this instance, do sales have a, a real reason to be concerned even? You know, because after all, what we, you know, after all, we all know that more and more of the, of the funnels happening within marketing's remit and if e-commerce becomes the main method of e- of clinching the deal, is there any need for, for salespeople anymore? Maybe that's a bit strong, but I don't know what your thoughts are. <laughs> this is a key topic. Um, it's really important. In fact, I have a whole chapter about sale or channel alignment in my book, um, chapter four, I think it is. It's so important. And if you're not aligned between your sales and marketing teams um, as you go to market, it will cause um, both sides to become less effective. This alignment is critical and it has to come from the top. The the top, I mean the CEO. Um, The C-team and the board have to be uh, behind this alignment of these two functions. And, you know, ultimately, there's, um, you know, where this all starts, David, is is with a, a concern that, you know, the, the, the e-commerce function will compete with the sales team. It will commoditize, you know, the products. It, it eliminates relationships. Uh, it, it takes, um, you know, the, a lot of the traditional value out of the relationship between the buyer and seller. The, the fact of the matter, though, is that's, that's, that's untrue. When it's done, used effectively and in concert, digital tools and e-commerce can, in fact, deepen the customer relationship. And we see this time and time again. I cite my example, my favorite example, Illumina from my book, and they get more share of wallet from their customer across both selling methods when they when, when they introduced e-commerce. They're getting more, a greater share of the customer's purchases. Why? Because e-commerce takes some of the tasks that are inefficient for the sales team, reordering products, finding information, where is my order? And it moves it to digital channels, which are far more efficient. Mm. And at the same time, the sales team can spend more time being strategic with the customer and also reaching new customers so they can spend more time, you know, selling the next million or $2 million or $10 million system to a customer rather than, you know, placing repeat orders, checking on order status, providing information that's available digitally. This is real. It's really important that these two, two functions are working together. But the, the nature, human nature, uh, puts them at odds when they're first introduced. So when, the, the first step in my, when I talk about this in my book is making sure leadership is aligned around this and is creating a, a, a story, a narrative at the company that aligns these channels. And then it manifests in terms of things like shared KPIs, um, shared profit and loss statements, and things that incentivize uh, the two t- the two functions to be working together. You know, one of the best practices, for example, is to provide commission for the sales team on orders that are placed over e-commerce. If it's in a named account or in a geography where that sales person has coverage, so these are things that companies can do to align these channels. And it's it's just so important because your e-commerce, if your sales team is not aligned to it, it will fail. The sales team will work against it. 
and it and and, and don't even I say don't even bother starting. <laughs> you got to get them involved right at the beginning. Yeah, so it's it's not a case of um so any sales people listening, if if you are listening, I don't know. Um it's not gonna be a robot coming in, taking over the whole department. If anything, it's it's a tool that will actually help them. Um which sounds yeah. maybe sounds like marketing spiel to any salesman, any um any cynical salesman, but the, the facts don't lie, I guess, Brian. No, they really don't. And in fact, you know, it's funny, David, when you do this well, the biggest um cheerleaders for e commerce at the end of the day, become the sales team because they're making more commission. It's helping them do their job. It takes things off their plate that they don't like doing, like, where is my order? <laughs> and, uh, and they end up loving it. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it feels, feels, uh, you know, non-intuitive, but it's, but that's what happens. Yeah. So more money and more time. So nothing to complain about. Um, right. <laughs> who doesn't want that? Um, so for anyone listening who like, you know, if, if there's anyone um, listening who really sees an opportunity for their organization to introduce e-commerce, where do you think they should start in terms of their research or perhaps in terms of building a business case, do you think? Yeah, now, great, great question. And I think we've got to defer to our leader, global leader in e-commerce, which is Amazon. And I think if you look at what they've done well over the years is remain laser focused on the customer. It sounds like a cliche, but they live it and they do it every day. It's amazing to me. They've got 1.3 million employees and they all, I spend a lot of time with Amazon and their teams and B2B in particular. And um, they all say it, they live it, they speak it. They talk about the customer as being uh, the arbiter of their decisions. Um, they test things. They, they let the customer vote. It's fantastic, right? So I'm amazed they can do it at that scale. So I think Number one, understanding what your customer is looking for is key. But, you know, you raised something interesting, David. You said business case. And I've got to say, business cases are great, right? I've got a whole chapter on this in the book. Chapter three, I think, talks about ROI. But look, B2B companies, they spend so much time building business cases. I say, stop it. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't, this isn't. Okay, everyone's trying to solve for, oh, is this going to be incremental revenue? Oh, is this, you know, how much efficiency is this going to drive my call center? Okay, these are good questions. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing the questions. But you can't spend all your time doing business cases because you'll never get anywhere. You've got to get, get enough information, get 80%, and then move. This is an existential um, issue here. This is not, in, I like to say, this isn't incremental. This is existential. And what I mean by that is, your customer is going away if you don't have e-commerce. You're going to be less relevant to your customer. They're going to buy through other channels. You have to move. Stop making stop doing business cases. Now I say that tongue in cheek. You still need a business case. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say they have built they have built a business case. Um, just that, you know, as obviously as an example, like you know, but and they've had it approved by the C-suite. Um, they've developed the platform. Um, you know, how should marks actually adapt their marketing strategy? Because surely the the, the marketing communications that um, you know marketers are putting out, um, yeah. surely you know that will have to change if they suddenly introduce an e-commerce platform. Is that correct? Oh, for sure. So, I mean, it, it comes down to the messaging and how you're how you're going to market. But one one thing that I I see companies um, fail to do sometimes is be deliberate about how they plan for adoption of e-commerce. So a lot of the return on investment of an e-commerce um, initiative 
comes from existing customers. It's coming from folks who are you doing business with today who are going to migrate some portion of their purchases to e-commerce. And um, planning for that and allowing for um, a really uh, communication to that customer base is really critical. It needs to be a deliberate plan. It needs to come from the senior level organ- uh, of the organization. And, the, and marketers, um, you need to have a plan for how this is going to roll out. How are your, how are your sales teams going to talk about it? What resources, training resources are you going to give to your customer to learn how to use e-commerce, right? Are you, are you partnering? Do you have an e-commerce specialist that you can partner with your sales team when you go to customers and visit them to show them how to use e-commerce? The most successful implementations have people dedicated to this. I, you know, again, I'll, I'll use my Illumina example. Guess what? Three and a half billion dollar company. They're getting. They're going to do half of their revenue through e-commerce this year. Billions. How did they get there? Well, part of it was being very deliberate about the marketing plan when they rolled out e-commerce. It came from training, sales training. It came from training the the, the marketing and sales teams, training the customers, having a communication plan involving e- uh, email uh, and in, intranet uh, information, videos, etc. So I think marketing to, for adoption is important, but then it opens up all this other kinds of marketing that you can now do, um, you know, across Google and email and other places that you may never have marketed uh, before, because you can now use e-commerce to capture new customers in a way where your sales team can't reach these customers. Traditionally, a lot of big companies, B2B, have been hamstrung in being able to reach all the customers they want to reach. Ask yourself, how many, do you have 100% of your market? I don't think so. So what does e-commerce help you do? It, it helps you to increase your reach and penetration to your market by now allowing you to open up brand new marketing. In, For example, Google, it's no longer just about sales lead generation. It can now be about transaction generation and acquiring new customers and getting them into your brand. And by the way, you can use platforms like Amazon to do that too. So it's exciting, quite frankly, but you have to be deliberate about how you plan. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I get we're well, kind of leading on from that, you know. And this will be our final question today. I think so we're just sort of coming out to our time today. Where do you see B two B e commerce going in the next five years? You know, are we still in the kind of early stages, or are we in for a you know a major transformation, um, which is going to see B two B e commerce becoming you know, dominant? Well. And we're still early, as I mentioned, David. I mean, it's, you know, the precedent is B2C. And, and I start chapter one of my book talking about what happened in the B2C market. In the US, it was companies like Sears and JCPenney and those that have fallen from grace, uh, you know, from their prominent position they were in 20, 25 years ago. And we can look there to see the future of what's going to happen in B2B. We're going to see changes in distribution. We're going to see marketplaces and vertical marketplaces and pure play e-commerce companies uh, thriving in B2B. We're going to see manufacturers selling directly to their their, uh, business buyers, the ultimate users of their product. But the physical sales team is going to be alive and well. Human order takers are not going to be gone from the company. There's going to be a significant role for consultative selling, but it's going to be different. Everything will be digitally uh, enabled. And, e- and e-commerce will be probably five times the size it is now. It will be very significant in terms of its volume. It already is, but even more so. Uh, so yeah, the future is the future is here. This is already happening. 
uh, and COVID has accelerated it. So it's it's an exciting time to be in this business. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's a, that's a brilliant place to end it. So, um, Brian, thank you very much for your time today. It's really insightful. Really appreciate, uh, really appreciate it. Just um, before you go, where can, where can people find your book? Yeah. So there's two places you can find me. One is um, you can go to billiondollarb2becommerce.com and you can find out more about the book. You can um, uh, buy it. It's printed on demand by Amazon. Believe it or not, you print the thing, it ships to you all over the world in two days. It's incredible. So you can find me there. And then if you want to reach me by email, it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N at Nciba, E-N-C-E-I, B as in boy, A, Brian at Nciba.com. I'd love to talk to you about Amazon and your Amazon strategy. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And for all of our listeners, um, be sure to go to b2bmarketing.net slash podcasts to listen to, um, you know, all of all of our previous podcasts. And, um, you know, in case you're looking forward to the next one as well, you'll find it there. Um, so, Brian, thank you very much. Pleasure talking to you um, and hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Cheers. Bye bye.